Ah, and we are live. Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash Takes by Fans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show there on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So, however you want to watch or listen we've got you covered multiple ways all right today is a big old tuesday week seven has officially wrapped up in the nfl with uh, a little bit is this the first prime time stinker a little bit i mean you know we know the saints offense in the uh Seahawks offense with Russell Wilson or with Geno Smith isn't the most electric offenses in the league, obviously, but man, man, 13 to 10 punting. I mean, the only reason that two touchdowns were scored in this game because plays went big. So a little disappointing in the overall performance. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, Saints only putting up 13 points off the, off the bye, folks. I mean, just so frustrating on what this team can be once again. Marquez Callaway not getting the touches he needs. What are we doing out here? Sean Payton, uh, do you need a new offensive coordinator or something? Like, hire me. We got to get this offense going here. There's no reason this offense should be putting up 13 points, less than 20 points here. This is not a great team, but let's save all of our talk for when we break it down. So, obviously, breaking down the Monday night game from last night. It is Tuesday, which means we've got our tight end Tuesday today, folks. Our week seven tight end grades. And we, you know, it was a special week for the tight ends. Official tight end day this Sunday. So we got a little surprise for our grading system this week. So when we break those down, we'll explain that. And then uh, we have to rearrange our power rankings, folks. It's, uh, you know, once again, the week is over here, heading into week eight. All week seven teams have played and some good performances by the good teams. And, uh, you know, not a lot of, there's no new teams in our top 10. A lot of moving around, but no new teams in our top 10 because we kind of have it right, folks. We know who the good teams are and all those good teams are already in our top 10. So no new teams coming in, but a lot of switcheroos. Um, and then, as always, we got to do our NBA Daily 10. So, a packed show. Let's just get right into it. So, uh, let's start here with the NBA in our NBA 10. The next 10 minutes, uninterrupted basketball talk of what just happened yesterday in the NBA. We've got the clock ready, and the clock is starting right now. Alrighty, big day in the NBA from last night. So, let's start here with the Celtics at the Hornets. And an unfortunate, Hornets lose their first game here Ugh. but it came in overtime and they still decently all played well so once again no worries about this Hornets team this is a real solid team out here in Charlotte uh, let's see what happened LaMelo Ball 25 points 9 assists a plus 1 on the floor absolutely great I mean LaMelo Ball I mean can we I mean these two these rookies I mean you know everyone wants to talk about you know Zion and how he was going to be so gosh dang great he's not playing so far and now we got LaMelo Ball and Anthony Anthony Edwards, the two rookies from last year, absolutely dominating the league so far. So, shout out to LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, both getting it done here. Um, well, not Anthony Edwards quite yet, but, uh, you know, 
LaMelo Ball, obviously. Uh, so, LaMelo Ball, fantastic out here. Kelly Oubre Jr., still the number two here in the starting lineup. 19 points, 9 rebounds. Mason Plumley, 12 points, 11 rebounds. He was a minus 7 on the floor. Uh, Gordon Hayward and McCall, or Miles Bridges, little lackluster performances overall in the point departments, in the shooting percentages. Miles Bridges, 2 of 10 from the 3, a minus 10 on the floor. And then Gordon Hayward, only the 15 points, being a minus 23 on the floor as well so not the greatest performance here by the Hornets but uh, this is still a solid team no no real reason to kind of fret off of this loss you're gonna lose some games you lose in overtime that's just unfortunately how it goes and you know with this Celtics team geez Louise some great scoring performances by these two great players and this is what the Celtics are gonna have to do if they really want to kind of be competitive and kind of win some of the better matchups here this season Jason Tatum goes off for 41 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Jalen Brown goes off for 30 points, 9 rebounds. I mean, this is what this Celtics team is. They don't really have anybody else. Now, Dennis Schroeder was in the starting lineup here which this is kind of the starting lineup we really kind of want to see. Uh, this is what they rocked with yesterday, folks. Dennis Schroeder at the one, Marcus Smart at the two, Tatum at the three, Brown at the four, and then Robert Williams obviously still at the five here. Um, I don't know if I, you know, Jalen Brown, he did put up 30 points at the four. So I don't know. I think we'd like Marcus Smart at the four a little bit better, but, uh, you know, that's definitely small ball then. Uh, but either way, this is the lineup that we kind of want to see. We definitely need to see kind of Dennis Schroeder in the starting lineup. I really think that's the best decision for overall for what the Celtics team is so Dennis Schroeder being the one here 23 points eight assists six rebounds a plus 12 on the floor absolutely fantastic so I think I can get behind this Celtics starting lineup a little bit unfortunately then they have no bench Jabari Parker put up 13 points and if this man can be a solid bench piece which we ended up seeing a little bit kind of clear last season kind of in the midway point end of the season Jabari Parker getting it done being just kind of a nice role player last Last year, and if he can pick it up, you know exactly where he left off last season. Uh, this is this this could be kind of the best bench player for this Celtics team. But I like this starting lineup. Celtics get the win, one forty to one twenty nine in overtime. All right, next game up is the Bucks at the Pacers, and uh, you know the Pacers lose this game. They do have one win, but they're one and three. This is what the Pacers are, and you know Debontis Sabonis. I mean, man, oh man, the man goes absolutely crazy every single game, but obviously it doesn't result in the wins because there's no other good players. You know, you need three real superstars on your team if you want to, you know, be winning consistently in the NBA, and the Pacers just don't have that. Sabonis, 21 points, 13 rebounds, shooting 61 percent, and he was a plus one on the floor the only pacer with a plus um, at the end of the game of a how many point loss what do we got uh, a 10 point loss so once again Sabonis is trying his damnedest there's just nobody else out there to help him on a consistent basis Miles Turner a little bit of a flounder game only playing 14 minutes five points four rebounds Malcolm Brogdon tried his damnedest he led the team in scoring 25.7 assists unfortunately it just was not enough because you're going against this buck team and look at this no Drew Holiday so they kind of have to move around the lineups a little bit they move uh, Thanasis Anatokounmpo at the four they move Giannis at the five no um 
uh, Brooke Lopez here either. So a lot of switches here, but they get it done. Giannis playing the five, 30 points, nine assists, 10 rebounds. Uh, George Hill now at the one because no Drew Holiday. George Hill, six points, but, uh, you know, three assists, five rebounds, just being the game manager. Chris Middleton, 27 points, stepping up big when they needed him to. And then Grayson Allen, 19 points, four of nine from the three. I mean, I'm really starting to love Grayson Allen on this Bucks team. And when they're at full strength, all Grayson Allen has to do is be the number fifth option. I mean, you know, in this game, he was kind of the third option and he kind of stepped up big, 19 points, four of nine from the three. That's perfect. But, you know, when everybody's healthy, he just has to be the fifth scoring option. That's it. And he's real solid at being a number five. I'll give him that. So, um, yeah, I'm loving this Bucks team. And then you get Pat Connaughton off the bench with 13 points. Jordan Nora, nine points, four rebounds, three assists off the bench. So this Bucks team has a real good chance of repeating. They've got the squad, and I like their new additions here. Grayson Allen still getting it done here for this Bucks team. So Bucks get it done, 119-109 over the Pacers. Next game up here is Pistons at the Hawks, and the Hawks continue to get it done. Obviously, this Pistons team, nothing great. Uh, Kelly Olenek in the starting lineup here, leading score for the squad, 21 points, 6 rebounds for this Pistons team. Uh, Sadiq Bey, 21 points, 7 rebounds. You know, he's, uh, what is he, second? Was he a rookie last season? What do we got? Yeah, rookie last year, Sadiq Bey, trying to do it. But, I mean, what are we doing with the starting lineup of Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, Kelly Olenek, and Josh Jackson? I mean, no disrespect, but these are all, you know, tier three, tier two players in the NBA. They can be good, but they just don't have that number one superstar that you need on the team. So unfortunate there for the Pistons and the Hawks take care of business in classic Hawks fashion. Trey Young, 32 points, nine assists, 62% from the field on 21 shots. Fantastic. Bogdanovich, 14 points, two of six from the three. Clint Capella, only four points, but eight rebounds, enough to get it done against a lackluster Pistons team. Team. And then John Collins, 22 points, 7 rebounds, still getting it done. Uh, Cam Reddish coming off the bench, 17 points for this Hawks team. We'll see, you know, how uh, he can be consistent here. I mean, they've got the squad, you know, Cam Reddish, Georgie Dang, Lou Williams coming off the bench here. I mean, they've got it. I mean, Georgie Dang, I mean, 6 points, 12 rebounds in only 15 minutes. This Hawks team is deep, and they're loaded, and they're ready to get back to exactly where they were last year in the playoffs, folks. They get the win, 122-104 over the Pistons. Alrighty, Washington Wizards at the Nets, and the Nets blow them out 104-90. And Kyle Kuzma, now that he's facing the kind of better teams in the league, he's back to floundering. A lot of Wizards fans were excited about Kyle Kuzma joining the squad, but this man, he's just not the greatest, folks. He's not a number one option. He may be a number two at his very best, but right now he's hovering about a third option on a, you know, on a good team right here. I don't think he's got enough to really carry a bad team where he's single-handedly kind of the best player. And on this Wizards team, he's kind of the second best player because you still have Bradley Beal. But Kyle Kuzma last night, six points, 13 rebounds. The 13 rebounds is great, but 0-5 from the three, 27% shooting on 11 shots, a minus 12 on the floor, nothing great. Bradley Beal, 19 points. He also struggled two of 13 from the three, 36% on 22 shots. I'm not putting all the blame on Kyle Kuzma, but I mean, you know, he wanted to play with the big dogs of LeBron James, couldn't make it work there, and now he's not making it work on this Wizards team where he could be the prime, the number two prime option out here. So Wizards, when they have to face, you know, the Nets, lackluster. 
All right, and then the Nets, uh, you know, Kevin Durant, 25 points, 8 rebounds. We got Blake Griffin back playing the 5 here, 2 points, 9 rebounds, 1 of 7 from the field, unfortunate. Joe Harris playing the 2, 11 points, but poor shooting. Joe Harris hasn't really found his stride thus far this season. Uh, Only 11 points, he had 8 rebounds, but 3 of 11 from 3, really uncharacteristic of our man. And then James Harden, 14 points, 9 assists. But uh, Patty Mills coming off the bench here, and that's probably their best bench weapon now. Patty Mills, 21 points, a plus 13 when he was on the floor for 22 minutes. So Nets find a way to beat the Wizards, which isn't that hard, and they continue to uh, get some solid wins without Kyrie Irving. Alrighty, a couple games left here. Next game up here is Magic at the Heat. And yeah, you know, same thing, you know, like this Wizards team, nothing really that great. Same thing with the Magic. Cole Anthony is trying his damnedest, but it's going to have to be a little bit better than this. Like uh, his performance uh, last game, not this game, last game, where, you know, he gets it done and he wins the game coming back from behind, getting it done in the fourth quarter. Absolutely fantastic against the Knicks, I believe it was. Uh, Cole Anthony, only 12 points. He had nine rebounds and five assists, but... One of five from the three, trying his damnedest, like we said, at minus five on the floor in a 17-point loss. So, solid work there by Cole Anthony. He's trying his hardest. And then for this Heat team, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler goes crazy, 36 points. I mean, Jimmy Butler, you know, everybody talks about Bam Adebayo being a little bit more aggressive. Well, Jimmy Butler can take that same advice as well, and that is our 10 minutes, so we've got to just finish up quickly here. But, uh, yeah, Jimmy Butler, I mean, take your own advice. When Jimmy Butler is aggressive, he can put up like 30-plus points every single game on really good, efficient shooting. He doesn't rarely, he really rarely takes three-pointers, so all of his points really just come from mid-range jump shots or just driving to the bucket and Jimmy Butler is definitely their best scorer on this Heat team so you know everybody likes to clown Bam out of bio for not being aggressive down low well Jimmy Butler you know I you're playing the three here We know you're not kind of the facilitator of the floor. You're not the official point guard for this team. So when the team is down, you've got to take it upon yourself to score because you are Jimmy Buckets. So that's what he did this game. 36 points, put up 21 uh, 21 shots, the most shots by about 10. Uh, Kyle Lowry put up 11 shots. Tyler Hero only put up 12 shots. So this is what we'd like to see out of Jimmy Butler. Uh, plus eight on the floor, 36 points, fantastic. Bam out of bio, 16 points, 13 rebounds. Kyle Lowry, nine points, eight assists, fantastic. I'm loving what we're seeing early on from this Heat team. We'd like to see a little bit more out of Duncan Robinson. I mean, this goes back to last season as well, folks. Duncan Robinson has to be more aggressive or just more consistent from the three because if not, I swap out Tyler Hero. At this point, I move Tyler Hero to the two and move out Duncan Robinson. Um, You know, Duncan Robinson may have a little bit better defense Defensive skills and Tyler Hero, but I mean Tyler Hero will get acclimated to being a good defender out here. I mean he was a plus a, he was a plus a 19 in 29 minutes. Dunk Robinson was a plus two in 27 minutes. So I think I like Tyler Hero starting off the game and using Duncan Robinson off the bench. I think that would be fit to Duncan Robinson a little bit more out here because it doesn't seem like he's hanging around very well with this Heat team of what we really need him to do here. So. Um, and then ha- also having Markeith Morris off the bench here. Once again, Heat, this Heat team is good. I didn't really like the Heat last year, but we loved them in the bubble. So two years ago, we loved this Heat team. Uh, we were always betting and, you know, getting behind them. Last year, we just didn't see that same spark that they had in the bubble. But this season, this is like the bubble season back. So watch out for what this Heat team can do. We're loving it. So they get the win 107-90. 
All right, then we get the Bulls and the Raptors. Close win here for the Bulls, but they hold on and stay undefeated. They win 111-108 over the Raptors. Loving this Bulls team as well. DeMar DeRozan, 26 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds. Vucevic, folks, 17 points, 8 rebounds. Zach Levine, 22 points, 5 assists. And then Lonzo Ball, the other ball brother right here, 15 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds. A great starting lineup, and they're able to get the win. We don't love their bench, but uh, Troy Brown Jr., 11 points and 16 minutes. We will take that. So the Bulls get the win. Anything good here with the Raptors? Gary Trent Jr. still in the starting lineup. Thank goodness. Uh, seems like he's going to be rocking the two here this year. So Gary Trent Jr., 18 points, 5 rebounds. Fred Van Vliet, 15 points, 17 assists. Sheesh. Almost came back. Just could not get it done, unfortunately. So well done for the Bulls getting the win. Then we get the Pelicans at the Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves end up losing this game. Truly unfortunate. They lose 107-98. Pelicans get it done. Brandon Ingram goes 27 points. Jonas Valanciunas, holy moly, obliterated this, uh, this Timberwolves team. He goes 22 points, but 23 rebounds. Oh, my gosh. An absolute monster game. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, folks, 17 points, 7 rebounds. And Devontae Graham at the 1, 21 points. Seven assists. Wow, what a great showing here by the Pelicans. Are they starting to move off of kind of Zion? Be like, all right, Zion, if you're not going to play, then we'll just move on without you. We'll get the wins. We're, we're not tripping. I mean, what a great performance by the starting lineup, honestly, here with this Pelicans team. Very well done. Uh, beating a solid Timberwolves team. Carl Anthony Towns, 32 points, seven assists, 14 rebounds. Anthony Edwards, 28 points, nine rebounds. We love it so much here. And then D'Angelo Russell, a little lackluster of the big three here of the Timberwolves. D'Angelo Russell, only nine points and six rebounds, but he shot awful. One of eight from three in 21% on 14 shots. So truly unfortunate. D'Angelo Russell just could not keep a pace. And this is where the Timberwolves are going to start running into trouble. They don't really have that good depth. They do have Patrick Beverly coming off the bench, which is pretty solid. 13 points. But other besides their kind of big three in their starting lineup, Josh Okuji and Jaden McDaniels, I mean, they're really not, you know, scoring the ball. You know, Josh Okuji one point on two shots and Jaden McDaniels three points on five shots because it's the big three of D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns that do the bulk of the work here. So that is where the Timberwolves may run into a little bit of trouble here. We just saw it in this game, just kind of focusing and relying a little bit too much on the big three here in Minnesota. Unfortunately, just come up a little bit short. Valentin is truly getting it done. All right, last two games. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Here we go. Cavs at Nuggets. Cavs get the win, and I love it. They win 99-87. Jared Allen, 21 points, 16 rebounds. And even Kevin Love off the bench, 22 points and 6 rebounds. Real solid work there by Kevin Love. I like this man coming off the bench. But Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, please get it together. We need y'all. I know y'all beat this Nuggets team. It's still a good win, but at the end of the day, you only put up 99 points. Don't expect to, to win too many games not putting up 100 points here and it starts here with these two guards here that are capable of both putting up 20 points a game here and that's exactly what they kind of need on a consistent basis. Darius Garland 9 points on 9 shots got to get that up a little bit. Colin Sexton 14 points on 11 shots now I know they were efficient Colin Sexton plus 10 on the floor Darius Garland plus 12 on the floor but that was just because the Nuggets had a little bit of a poor performance putting up points. Michael Porter Jr. only 11 points on 28% from the field. Joe Kick got 
got it done like Jokic always does. The reigning MVP here, defending MVP, give the man so much more respect. I haven't seen the, an MVP get as disrespected as Jokic in like the last 20 years, folks. So Jokic is still getting it done. 24 points, 19 rebounds, and they just had trouble scoring the ball. Will Barton only 12 points. Monte Morris, their starting point guard, two points. And Aaron Gordon, you know, he's not the best scorer. He really kind of takes that many shots, but he took 14 shots here and only put up 12 points. So we like the Cavs getting the win because we love rooting for Jared Allen, one of the better bigs in this league here. But uh, don't expect to win too many games just putting up 99 points. So need the two guards to get get uh, step it up a little bit more. And then the last game from the night, uh, Blazers at the Clippers. Clippers absolutely obliterate them, 116-86. to And once again, Dame time is just stalling out a little bit out here. And we believe he can get it done, but so far, this Blazers team is floundering because Damian Lillard is not playing up to truly what he needs to do. Damian Lillard, 12 points on 0 of 8 from the 3, on minus 22 on the floor. CJ McCollum, 20 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds. Nurchich, 4 points, 10 rebounds. Robert Covington at the four, zero points, and then Nasir Little, only 10 points. So nobody's scoring here on this Blazers team, and Damian Lillard needs to start kind of leading by example, getting at them out to hot starts. And then for the Clippers, just Paul George by his lonesome out here, getting it done. 16 points for Paul George, eight steals. See, the man had eight steals, folks. Holy moly. Still no Kawhi Leonard. Don't expect him for the bulk of the season out here. So, you know, Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, Zubak, and Nicholas Batum, I mean... This is what Paul George has to work with, and they get the win out here. Off the bench, we can celebrate Luke Kennard, 23 points off the bench, leading scorer here for this Clippers team in 24 minutes. So this Clippers team, they're going to have to get good production from literally everybody from you know the four other starters besides Paul George and off the bench as well like they had this game. Luke Kennard, 23 points off the bench. Terrence Mann, 13 points off the bench. And Isaiah Hartenstein, 9 points off the bench. That's what we need to start seeing on a consistent basis if this Clippers team wants to be competitive without Kawhi Leonard. So well done for the Clippers getting the big win here 116-86 over the Blazers. Alrighty, that is all the NBA from yesterday, folks. We'll be back tomorrow with our next NBA Daily 10 to see what happens in the NBA while we are still covering the NFL season heavily in depth. Alrighty, so uh, now that we got the NBA out of the way for today, let's head over to the NFL. There was still a Monday night game, folks. Saints at the Seahawks to wrap up week seven in the NFL in a little bit. It was a close game, so it was really competitive all throughout. Just really low scoring and really bad offense, uh, I mean, for the entire game. I mean, look at these drives, folks. I mean... Look at these drives. First drive for the Seahawks, move nine yards. First drive for the Saints, move nine yards. And then the Seahawks get a play that goes big. It just goes big. That's all it is, folks. And that opens up the Seahawks to score 7 nothing. Uh, You know, 84-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf once again. It was just DK Metcalf that just kept going down the sideline. It wasn't like a big throw, a little bit of a dink off, a little bit... Um, 
or I think it went like 10 yards maybe down the field. But either way, it was just DK Metcalf taking it all himself. And then that's the only touchdown the Seahawks put up for the entire game. And really all the all the points that they really put up for the entire game as well. And then just continuing on with these drives after the one play that went big. The Saints go 33 yards, have to punt. Seahawks go 15 yards, have to punt. Then the Saints, negative 2 yards, punt. Seahawks, 15 yards, punt. And then the Saints get a play that kind of goes big. They got a 23-yard pass that kind of breaks big, but it results in only a field goal. They have to settle for a field goal getting down in the red zone, and the Seahawks are still struggling here offensively. 18 yards, have to punt, and then the Saints get another big play, 31-yard pass to Alvin Kamara. Uh, Once again, a little bit of a dink off here that breaks big, and they're able to score a touchdown off of that, and then they're just, that kind of goes into halftime, and then they're back to really not moving the ball. Eight yards for the Saints out of halftime. Punt. 32 yards, a missed field goal. And this was, you know, also what was holding the Seahawks team back and really why they lost the poor field goal kicking. I mean, we're talking about a 44 yard field goal. This Seahawks team loses by three. They missed two field goals. One was the 44, the one that we just talked about. The other one came a little bit later in the fourth quarter, a little bit longer, 53 yards, a little bit longer, but still at the end of the day, you lose by three and you kick two field goals that just did not go. So unfortunate for the Seahawks team. Another loss with Geno Smith at the helm. Womp, womp. Um, so yeah, poor performance by both of these offenses. Um that resulted into a close game at the end and we get once again Geno Smith with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. Have we seen this before? Yes. And did we get the same ending? Yes. The Seahawks lose. Two weeks ago against the Rams, Geno Smith, one possession game, interception, not his fault, but still through the interception and they lose the game because of that uh, Rams score a field goal, so it's now officially a two possession loss for the Seahawks but still, Geno Smith, ball in his hands at the end of the game flounders then what happened last week Geno Smith in overtime ball in his hands getting the ball back next score wins and what does he do he fumbles the ball womp womp and then this just last night three weeks in a row Geno Smith with the ball in his hands down three points a minute and 56 seconds left all you need is a field goal so let's watch what happens to Geno Smith on this last drive he didn't turn over the ball but he got sacked twice and put him into a fourth and 28 that's basically turning over the ball because you're not completing a 4th and 28. Exactly what we just saw last night, not completing the 4th and 28. And once again, Geno Smith, ball in his hands, last possession, can't get it done, and they lose the game. Truly unfortunate here with the Seahawks. So let's watch Geno Smith work here on the final drive. What went wrong? Did the pressure just get there? Was there things open? We don't have the all 22, so we have to work with what the, the screen showed us. But let's watch Geno Smith on this last drive, starting at his own 20. 25-yard line, down three, a minute and 56 seconds left. First play up, here we go, drops back to pass. Decent time to throw, throw over the middle, but incomplete, well short, trying to hit DK Metcalf. Now, they hit DK Metcalf on that first kind of 
uh, big drive that went big. Their second drive, they went to DK Metcalf, and then they really never went back to DK Metcalf until the fourth quarter when they were trying to get the ball moving down the field, but it was that it was a little bit too little too late at this point. I don't understand it. We're going to talk about this, but you know, after we watch this final drive here, but can we get the playmakers involved? Please get DK Metcalf involved, especially after you just hit him big and he went 80 plus yards and then you don't go to him basically for the rest of the game and then not going to Marquez Callaway again for the Saints team. What are we doing out here? Not scheming the offense right or just not trusting the quarterbacks in general, which we understand not trusting Geno Smith, but you're not trusting Jameis Winston. What are we doing? He's really kind of cleaned up the turnovers or he's only cleaned up the turnovers because the passing is so conservative. They're not opening it up. Uh, but either way, they try to target DK Metcalf. Geno Smith shorts the ball by like three yards. Incomplete. Now we get second and 10. Here we go. Geno Smith dropping back the pass. And the pressure comes off the edge right off the rip here. Geno Smith pump fakes to kind of get the defender in the air. He's not biting at all here. Let's quickly see. Was there anything open? Yeah, Geno Smith, you just have to let that ball fly right there it probably would have only picked up maybe one or two yards but it's better than taking a seven yard sack here um and I think do they burn their last time out here yeah, one timeout, so, you know, you lose the timeout. No, they didn't lose the timeout, but now we get third and 18 here. Now it's third and 18 when you need to pick up the first down because you need to get into field goal territory. So, bad sack taken there by Geno Smith, but we understand, you know, the pressure did come right off the rip, so, you know, it's a tough decision to make. We get it. Still unfortunate. And now we get third and 18. He's going to get sacked again. Here we go. Drops back to pass. Decent time to throw here. Trying to escape out of the backfield, out of the pocket, and just gets brought down by his heels. Once again, obviously, there is a significant level of talent to drop off when you go from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. We know Geno Smith is a little bit of a dual threat quarterback. Obviously, not as fast as Russell Wilson. His escapability is not there. And uh, he tried to stand in the pocket tall, tried to escape. Unfortunately, takes a sack, and now we get uh, the fourth and 28. Let's see what he does here on fourth and 28. They're only rushing four. The Saints are dropping everybody back. He's throwing from his own end zone. Pressure failed. He still has to escape and then flings it deep. And unfortunately, it's just broken up. And, uh, you know incomplete turnover on downs and unfortunate here for Geno Smith not even that deep of a ball only kind of going like 20 yards down the field DK Metcalf seemed to have that in his hands a little bit out here let's see if we can get a better look at this one was this broken up or did DK Metcalf try to get his hands on this ball uh, look to be broken up at the last second. Real good defensive play there by the Saints team. And like we said, it's 4th and 28. You've got no good chance at completing that ball. So truly unfortunate for the third week in the in a row, Geno Smith can't play hero ball when, you know, that's basically what Russell Wilson is. He keeps you in the game, and then, you know, he's got that real great chance of leading you back and getting that kind of walk-off uh, score to win the game. That's what makes Makes, you know, Russell Wilson so special is because he usually comes up clutch for the most part. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes for the last two seasons, folks. What's happening this season? Patrick Mahomes is magic. It's running out. Same thing with like Russell Wilson last season, the offense kind of falling off at the end of the season. Russell Wilson's magic kind of running out a little bit. 
play calling has to do with that as well. That's why they got rid of the offensive coordinator coming into this season. But once again, I mean, they started 2-5. and five. Russell Wilson wasn't winning the games that great or in great fashion before he went down. So, you know, it's hard to be consistent in this league, folks. So, you know, once again, bringing it back to everybody trying to compare everybody to Tom Brady, you can't because the man did it for 20 years really without skipping a beat here where we have, you know, Patrick Mahomes entering kind of year four, Russell Wilson kind of entering year nine here, losing the magic a little bit, a little bit. Now, we will see if they can regain it. Um, You know, they can definitely still regain it. I'm not saying that they've lost the magic forever, but... Still, bad starts here for the Seahawks and the and the uh, and the Chiefs. And truly unfortunate for the Seahawks team. I mean, you know, coming into this season, you know, we in the off season, we've been discussing that kind of NFC West, the Saints, the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Rams being the toughest division in football. But the 49ers and Seahawks have two wins each. I mean, not even really competitive out here. So, you know, nothing, you know, obviously, you know, nothing goes exactly as you think it would. You know, some teams are surprising. The Bengals are the big surprise team this season. And I would probably say uh, for the be- for the good, for the, uh, you know, thinking that they wouldn't be that good. Now they're really good. That's the surprise by the Bengals. Where the Seahawks and the 49ers surprised the opposite way. They were supposed to be really, really good coming into the season. But, uh, you know, big flounder jobs right here. Both losing in prime time these last uh, two days. Not the greatest look for these NFC West teams that uh, have to compete with the undefeated 7-0 Cardinals. How are you doing that at 2-5? So a must-win game here for the Seahawks in another loss here. Real conservative offense. So let's start talking about some numbers here. So here we go. Let's start with the Saints here. Jameis Winston goes 19 of 35. This is nothing good, folks. He threw for 222 yards. A lot of those big plays going to Alvin Kamara on the dink down. And we'll, you know, see the leading receivers and all that in a second. But let's get the completion percentage here for Jameis Winston. I mean, 54%, folks. What are we doing? Jameis Winston got to open it up a little bit. Or is Sean Payton holding this offense back? I mean, folks, we have to remember this Saints team just came off of a by and this is what they wanted to put out there this was the best this is what they've been hammering in all week to dink it down and not really do anything and have Evan Kamara break it big which he has the ability to do but I mean you're just going to rely on that I mean that's really kind of what they've been relying on really this entire season they're not relying on Jameis Winston they're using Jameis Winston as a game manager and not a Ryan Tannehill game manager where you know you let him kind of air it out a couple of times you know throughout the game they're just using them in a pure game manager like we really don't want you throwing the ball here and you know or throwing the ball deep just dinking it down and trying to you know let small things break big out here and I don't think that's how you're gonna get it done with the Saints team I mean yeah the Saints are four and two so you know obviously it's hard to knock them and you know I'm sure y'all will come at me in the comments being like, why are you knocking the Saints? They're 4-2. They're winning games. You know, they're better than the majority of the teams in the league. But, you know, they're not beating the best teams. They really haven't had that true uh, test against a real great team thus far this season. So, yeah, you're beating the Seahawks. But, you know, putting up only 13 points and seeing Jameis Winston barely throw for over 200 yards. Once again, only 222 yards. What are we doing? We know Jameis Winston has the big army through for 5,000 yards in a season. 
he was consistently hooking up with Marquez Callaway in the reg in the uh, in the preseason games, and even you know all the chances, the slim chances that they have of just putting Marquez Callaway deep down the field, they're always hooking up with each other. But here we go, Marquez Callaway, third leading receiver, three catches for only 32 yards, targeted seven times. Why are we not able to get Marquez Callaway schemed open? You are coming off the bye. So I don't like what the Saints are doing offensively. Uh, let's finish it up here, and then we're going to investigate this record here with the 4-2 Saints uh, because I w I'm kind of saying that this is the worst 4-2 team, and I think there are some 3-3 three and three teams that I take over the Saints, so we're going to investigate that in a second, but let's finish up here with the stats here. Uh, Alvin Kamara, leading rusher, obviously. 20 carries, 51 yards, so the ground game is just not really working itself. That's what they're using Jameis Winston for, just to kind of you know deliver the ball to some screens, some plays in the backfield, some dink and dunks just to make it look like it or just to make it uh, potentially to break big because you have playmakers like Alvin Kamara that can break it big we saw it a couple times this game on the touchdown uh, on the touchdown um, drive folks like we said the play that broke big a 31 yard shotgun pass by Jameis Winston pass short to Alvin Kamara that broke for 31 yards so once again dinking and dunking not letting Jameis Winston just air it out and test the defense we get it you don't have Michael Thomas but we're saying that Marquez Callaway is as good as Michael Thomas as you know just for the interim the six seven games that he has to fill in we've been seeing great things by him when and they let him go deep. Couldn't open up this game. Um, so Evan Kamara leading rusher, Jameis Winston took off eight times for 40 yards, and then the leading receivers here, Alvin Kamara, number one receiver by a mile, folks, look at this, look at this, Alvin Kamara, 11 targets, 10 catches, 128 yards and a touchdown, and then the second leading receiver, three catches, Adam Troutman, three catches for 36 yards, so number one was 128 yards, and then number two is 36 yards, do you see the drastic disparity there, folks, between who they're trying to get the ball? to where they're trying to get the ball to and all of that. Then we have Marquez Callaway, three catches for 32 yards. Traquan Smith, one catch for 11 yards. So not getting it done. And then barely utilizing Kenny Stills as well. You've got speed on this team. Marquez Callaway, Kenny Stills, those are your deep threats. And then your Alvin Kamara, the, the shallow threat, the dual threat running back. Why are you not going dual, kind of shallow with the passing and then opening it up, opening it up, taking the shots down the field? Because you make the defense cover both aspects because you've got Got both aspects, so make them cover both aspects, the deep ball and the shallow game. Mix it in, mix it up, so they're always on their toes defensively, never truly know what to gauge, and then, you know, that opens up the play action, and then you can go big here, but they just never got it done. Only 13 points, barely moving the ball here. You know, the Seahawks, they had opportunities to put up more points. The Saints didn't. They didn't have any missed field goals. They didn't have any turnover on downs. They didn't have any turnovers where they were moving the ball. The Seahawks got down the field a couple more times, or they did have the fumble. I apologize. Where did they fumble this ball? Only at their own 28-yard line. So it was a, you know, a quick fumble that led to three points here for the Seahawks. But, you know, we talked about the two missed field goals here for the Seahawks. So they could have put up more than 10 points. They could have put up 16 points to 
win the game, and the Saints would have been still stuck at 13 points. No other real scoring opportunities for the Saints team. So just overall, I'm not liking this offense really at all. I don't not understand what Sean Payton's trying to do. I don't know if he's just trying to prove that he's a good coach and proving that he can win by not throwing the ball since he's been, you know, building his reputation on throwing the ball, obviously with Drew Brees these last 15 years. Um, but I don't understand. I mean, to prove that you're a good coach, I mean, mold Jameis Winston into the perfect quarterback. Why can't you do that? I mean, Jameis Winston, obviously the 30 interceptions is the black mark on his resume and all that. So, I mean, if you take those interceptions and get them down while still throwing the 30-plus touchdowns and 5,000 yards, I mean, that's going to show your genius as well. But it seems like the, he just wants to win with Alvin Kamara. I, I don't know what Sean Payton's doing. I guess that's what it is, folks. We don't know what Sean Payton is trying to accomplish here with this lackluster as hack offense, folks. Um, so let's go to these. Uh, let's go to uh, all the teams here and see what the records are, and just see what the is this a good four and two team, folks? Compared to all the other four and two teams in the three and three, and maybe even the two and four teams. We'll see what some two and four teams are looking like. So let's just go through some teams quickly. Obviously, the Cardinals seven and zero, better than the Saints, hands down, no debate. The Rams at six and one, better than the Saints, hands down, no debate. The 49ers, I wouldn't say are better. They're two and four. The Seahawks, I mean, we just saw they're not better. Now, if they had Russell Wilson, would they be better? Maybe a little bit, but I still wouldn't say overall that the Seahawks are better than the Saints right now. Then we get the Packers 6-1. and one. Yeah, obviously the Packers are better. Then we get the Vikings at 3-3. Three and three. Do I take the Vikings over the Saints? They move the ball a lot, gash dang more, folks. They have uh, they put up 147 points so far, the Vikings have. What is the Saints team? They've put up 140 points. Is that right? They've put up 140 points. I don't believe it. Let me go back. Let me check their scoring totals throughout the season, folks. Are you telling me the Vikings have only put up seven more points than the Saints did? Interesting. The Saints had a bye already. That's real interesting. Let me see uh, what the Saints is doing this year, point total-wise. Here we go. What are, what's their point total so far this season? Here we go. All right. They put up 38 points week one. I'll give them that. Seven points week two. 28 points week three. 21 points week four. 33 points week five. And then the bye week six. And then just 13 points. So they had two good weeks of 30 plus points. I'll give them that. And the 28 points against New England. So they put up 38 points against the Packers. 28 points against New England. 33 points against Washington. All right, so they're getting the points down. We'll give them the points. It's just the passing yards that are truly lackluster. It's really just the passing yards. All righty. Alrighty. I mean, their most passing yards is 271. <laughs> that was with Washington. I mean, when they put up 38 points, he only threw for 151 yards, folks. When he put up 7 points, he only put threw 80 yards. When they put up 28 points, he only threw 110 yards. So, I guess the point totals are there, but the yardage, it's not matching up with the point totals. Getting some good takeaways, the defense, re relying on the rushing attack, Alvin Kamara and all that. So, I okay. So, that's what it is. It's not the true point totals. Okay. 
I still think I might take the Vikings in their three and three. I think I'd take the Vikings over the uh, over the Saints right now. The Chicago Bears at three and four. I don't really take them because I have to take Matt Nagy. I'm not taking Matt Nagy. Lions zero and seven. I take the Saints. Obviously, they they know how to win games, and that's something that we like. You know, no matter how you get it done, that's why we can't knock the Saints too much because they are still winning games. But we don't like the way they're winning games. Like we love the way that the Cardinals are winning games and the Cowboys are winning games and all that. Um, we don't like the way the Bills are winning games. That's why we just sold them against the Titans when they lost. We'll see how they kind of bounce back after this bye that they had this week. So, um, you know, we do kind of see and count how y'all win and which ways you win and all that. And so far, we just don't like the way the Saints are winning, folks. Um, then here we go. The Tampa Bay Bucks. Obviously, we take the Bucks over the Saints um, at six and one. The Falcons at three and three. And this is an emerging Falcons team. I love what I've been seeing from this Falcons team these last two games here. So yeah, I think right now I take the Falcons at three and three over the Saints at four and two. Uh, Carolina Panthers, no way. We don't, we're not taking Sam Darnold over. I mean, Sam Darnold has six more points. Has put up six more points than the Saints, folks. Does that sound right? No, it shouldn't sound right. Um, so Sam Darnold at three and four. No, no, no. We take the Saints over the Panthers. Cowboys at five and one. We take over the Saints. Uh, we take the Saints over Washington. We take I take the Eagles over the Saints. I take the Eagles at two and five over the Saints. I don't take the Giants at two and five over the Saints. Um, Titans at five and two. Obviously, we take over the Saints. Colts at three and four. I don't take the Colts quite yet over the Saints. Uh, Jags at one and five. I don't take them over the Saints. And the Texans at one and six. I don't take them over the Saints. Bills at four and two. I take the Bills over the Saints. Obviously, uh, Patriots at three and four. I think I take the Patriots over this. Uh, over the Saints team, the Patriots have put up 170 points. And Mac Jones, uh, let's get that up. Let's see what Mac Jones has been doing here, uh, just passing total-wise uh, for the Patriots. And the fact that Mac Jones is just out-throwing Jameis Winston, that's where we have the problem, folks. Now we've got the problem where, we, where we've got rookie Mac Jones. And these tier two receivers, basically just tight ends all over the board here for the Patriots uh, offense. They're putting up more passing yards than Jameis Winston on a consistent basis. Look at these passing yard numbers. 268. 159, 251, 295, 226, 215, 403. I mean, every single game better by basically like 100 yards every game. Why are you letting Mac Jones out throw Jameis Winston? What are we doing here? So I take the Patriots over the Saints right now. I don't take the Jets. Um, I'm close to taking the Dolphins because at least, once again, Tua. Everybody likes to knock Tua. Let's get uh, what Tua's been throwing for. And he's only got three games, folks. Uh, we'll also see what Jacoby Brissett was doing. Um, but So let's go to the Dolphins' uh, total so far offensively of what they've been doing points-wise this year. Or um, not points-wise, we're looking at yardage-wise, passing yardage-wise. Um, here we go. Uh, 259 or 185, 145, 197, uh, 168, and then Tua's getting back up here. Then we get 262. That was the last game without Tua. Then with Tua, 354 and 281. So once again, Tua back from injury. They're still letting this man rip the ball more than they let Jameis Winston rip the ball. Obviously, with Jacoby Brissett, we know Jacoby Brissett's not a good passer, so that's why his totals were kind of on par with Jameis Winston. But we we know Jameis Winston is a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. So what are we doing once again? 
the Raiders at five and two. Absolutely, I take the Raiders hundred percent, and we've got them big in our power rankings. So watch out for that. Uh, Chargers at four and two. Yes, we take the Chargers over the Saints. Even the Chiefs at three and four. I'll take the Chiefs at three and four. We know that you know this Chiefs team still is moving the ball. They're just turning the ball over. I'll live with the turnovers. I know the Saints are turning over the ball, but I will live with the Chiefs turnovers for just getting some points on the board, for getting the yardage, passing yardage, opening it up. I will swallow all those turnovers, even though it results into a three and four record. So uh, the Broncos at three and four. I don't think I take the Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater's floundering. And then the last division here, Bengals at five and two. Yes, we take the Bengals over the Saints. We, uh, Ravens at five and two. Yes, we take the Ravens over the Saints. Browns at four and three. Yes, we take the Browns at uh, over the Saints. And then the Steelers at three and three. Mm, yeah, we take the, we take, we take, yeah, let's see what Big Ben is doing. What is Big Ben doing this year? Passing the ball. We know he's struggling, moving the ball, passing the ball, all of that. Um, so let's get uh, what the Steelers are doing yardage-wise through the air. And if it's so much of a drastic comparison compared to Jameis Winston. So here we go. What are the Steelers throwing for these games? Here we go. We're reading off the totals here. Game one, we get 177, but then it picks up 292, 297, 220, 244, 226. So once again, outpassing Jameis Winston. What are we doing? Sean Payton, what are we doing? Truly, because I'm not loving anything about it. You've, you're winning games. So we can't knock you too much. We just don't like how they're winning it. So Saints get the win 13 to 10. Let's quickly finish off the Seahawks stats, and then we will move on to uh, celebrating the great tight end performances of the week. But Geno Smith goes 12 of 22. 12 of 22. We've got a 54% completion percentage, 167 yards. And if we take out the 84 yards, the DK Metcalf, that went deep, that went big. I mean, Geno Smith goes 11 of 21 for 80 yards. I mean, that's what the Seahawks offense did. Uh, you know, we've known the Seahawks offense not great with Russell Wilson, and now it's still not great with Geno Smith, which is to be as expected. So, no great passing game. He had a passing touchdown. We'll give him that. No turnovers. We'll give him that a little bit. Rushing-wise, we had Alex Collins. I mean, they ran the ball 16 times. They were trying to kind of, you know, establish the run since they knew they really couldn't establish the pass, uh, but the run couldn't get established. Alex Collins, 16 carries for only 35 yards. That's 2.2 yards a carry, folks. That's real bad. Um, James Winston took, or J Geno Smith took off three times and put up 12 yards. Nothing great. And then who was Geno Smith throwing to? We had DK Metcalf, 96 yards, 84 of them coming off of one pass. So 12 yards on the other catch that he had. He was targeted five times. Well, what the heck? This should have gave you confidence. And they barely were targeting him for the rest of the game. What are y'all doing, folks? What are y'all doing? Not getting the ball to DK Metcalf, especially since he broke it big. We've got the highlight. Let's watch the highlight because this is who your playmakers are. Why are we not going to your playmakers, especially since they proved themselves real early on? Folks, this catch came only four five minutes into the game and they rarely they didn't go to DK Metcalf until it was in the fourth quarter when it was a little bit too little too late like we said so let's watch what DK Metcalf did here play action pass Geno Smith here's this one all right he did throw this one like 20 yards down the field so I will give him that and then just a hesitation move to stay on his feet and then take it 50 yards
yards clean down the sideline fast as heck. We know he's a track star. Tried to be a track star. I think he finished, what, like seventh place in that race? Ooh, good. Uh, but, you know, on the football field, he's definitely one of the fastest. So he's in his own sport. He's in his element. He can get it done. So the fact that you just don't use DK Metcalf more, I would be giving this man 20 targets after this. But they gave him five targets for the game, folks. Absolutely unacceptable. I don't know what these offenses are doing here, folks. And then we uh, second leading receiver for the Seahawks, Freddie Swain, four catches, 39 yards. Tyler Lockett, two catches, 12 yards. Gerald Everett, three catches, 11 yards. And once again, why are we not getting Tyler Lockett to the ball when Russell Wilson plays? Tyler Lockett's going 50 yards on the field every single play. Tyler Lockett, two catches on three targets for only 12 yards. What are we doing? What are we doing? Extra time to prepare. This is a Monday night game. What are we doing? Seahawks, we're just coming off of um off of Sunday night, right? Um, yeah, Sunday night, so not, yeah, you still have some extra time to prepare, at least, um, at least time to prepare, time to prepare, Saints definitely had more time to prepare, and once again, the offense wasn't looking that much better than the Seahawks offense, so, I don't know what they're thinking, if they're thinking that these quarterbacks are holding them back, I can understand that a little bit with Geno Smith, but, uh, you know, he's always been in these games these last two weeks, he's only losing at the very end of the game, so try not to get in that situation, it seems like the Seahawks are playing not to lose, and at the end of the day, they lose the game because they're down at the end of the game. So Seahawks not switching up their game plan, not trusting Geno Smith. Saints not trusting Jameis Winston. We don't like any of these offenses, and uh, we don't like any of these teams overall. These teams are not even close to achieving the top 10 uh, for our power rankings. I wouldn't even put the Saints team in even like the top 15. Like we said, we were going over some 4-2, and 3-3 three and three teams, even 2-4 and four teams that we liked better than the Saints. So, that's where we are after week seven. Saints after the bye, lackluster. Nothing to celebrate. Seahawks can't win without Russell Wilson's magic. So, Saints get the win on the road, 13-10, to to close out week seven. We're not buying either of these teams heading into next week, though. All righty, so that is all of week seven. So now we can start going a little bit deeper, uh, celebrating, and then we got our uh, film study tomorrow. We can do our power rankings today as well. So let's head over in celebrating the tight ends. And this week was a special week in the NFL for the tight ends, folks. It was National Tight Ends Day Sunday. I'm sure y'all heard that was the talk of the town, folks. But we don't celebrate tight ends for one day, folks. We've been celebrating tight ends the entire season, the entire offseason. As, as soon as tight end university was established, we were on that tight end train. So this was just a normal day for us here at Takes by Fans watching the great tight ends work here. But because it was a special occasion there for the tight ends all grades that we give out today are going to be doubled are going to be doubled so if you get an a you're going to get two a's if you get an a plus plus you'll get two a plus pluses if you get a b you get two b's all of that uh fortunately there's no f performances out here uh for the tight end so no double f's given out no double f minuses given out today thank goodness but uh, this is the chance because we are doing this to try and crown the best tight end in the league out here. We are going through the grades every single week. We got this list out here. And then after the list, we'll see all the grades and kind of try and compare them and get that grand total for the best tight end in the league. And they will have that crown and that title heading into next season and to try and defend it going back 
back-to-back years as best tight end in the league. So this is the opportunity. This is the week to kind of make up a little bit of ground out here. I'll tell y'all already, we get no uh, Travis Kelsey on this list, no great performance, um, and no George Kittle. The inventors of tight end university didn't even ball out at tight end day. What are you doing? What are we doing? So this is the opportunity for some of these other tight ends to double down, get double grades, and get back in the race of best tight end of the year. So without further ado, let's start celebrating the great tight end performances that we saw this week from week seven. So the first matchup and the first tight end that we are going to celebrate, we're going to give a little credit to uh, um, McCoyle Pruitt this week, folks. Real decent performance for this Titans team, helping them kind of beat this Chiefs team that they were getting no credit for coming into this game. Like we said, Titans minus or plus five at home. Absolutely disappointing respectful but McCoyle Pruitt out here he had two catches that's it for 27 yards but he had a touchdown he scored a touchdown um, off of Derrick Henry throwing him the ball, getting out of the gate here, scoring the ball, and then he also helped on a field goal drive to get them out to a 17 to nothing lead. So helping out with the points, we absolutely love it. We've got the plays queued up here. So it's only two plays, but let's watch McCoyle Pruitt work in this first one. A little bit of a bonus, catching a ball from the running back. The tight ends don't matter who's giving you the ball here, folks. They, they're all about catching if a ball is in the vicinity, whether it's for them or not, whether it's the quarterback, running back, receiver, punter, lineman, coach, whoever's throwing them the ball, they don't give a damn. They'll catch anything. So here we go. Derrick Henry lined up in the shotgun. Tannehill goes out to the left, and it's just a pick and pop real quick. Derrick Henry fakes the run up the middle. Pops last second and just throws an absolute dime. What a dime. Derrick Henry can run and pass and catch. You can catch too, but he can pass. Oh, my God. The man's even better. And just look at the accuracy on this ball. Get Derrick Henry a quarterback contract. I want to see Derrick Henry having the 10-year $500 million deal that Patrick Mahomes just had. Because did Patrick Mahomes throw a touchdown this game? No. Derrick Henry did. Give Derrick Henry half a billion dollars, folks. That's all y'all have to do. So, great job there by McCoyle Pruitt to catch this ball thrown by a running back. Wide open in the back of the end zone here. Looking it in. Great float job, too. Look at that to get over all three of these defenders right here and then drop it in the bread basket two feet down secure ball secure to the ground completing the true process touchdown McCoyle Pruitt, 7-0 lead to start off the game for the Titans. Puts the pressure on the Chiefs, and we saw we know what happens when the Chiefs have pressure on them. They turn the ball over exactly what they did this game. So great job there by McCoyle Pruitt. But then we get this, folks. They're up 14-0 now. They're at midfield on second and eight. Let's get McCoyle Pruitt right here, second and eight at midfield. They're only up 14-0, trying to make a three-possession lead here. And there's McCoyle Pruitt. Boom, over the middle of the field, wide open. This time it's Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball. So once again, Derrick Henry, running backs, quarterbacks, doesn't matter whoever's throwing the ball. They will catch it. Finds the soft spot over the middle of the field. Look at this. Nobody within 10 yards of them. Great separation. Always able to find that soft spot of the zone that tight ends can. And there's McCoyle Pruitt bringing it down to the 30-yard line. 
and they're able to cash in a field goal going up 17-0. So very well done, McCoyle Pruitt. And I believe this is his first time on the list here. Better late than never. And this was definitely the week to get it done because you get two. Because you get two grades out here. So here we go, McCoyle Pruitt. Let's get his name up here. McCoyle Pruitt. Very well done. We're going to give you a... Uh, we're going to give you a B plus, B plus for your week seven performance and B plus again for the bonus one. There it is. Two B pluses there for week seven. Fantastic. So well done, McCoyle Pruitt. Give him a round of applause out here showing out here on tight end day when Travis Kelsey did it and George Kittle did it. And Darren Waller didn't even play because he couldn't play. So sheesh, sheesh, fantastic. Alrighty, next tight end we got to celebrate up here is going to the Green Bay Packers with Robert Tanyan. Real solid performance here. Uh, you know, the Packers didn't blow out this Washington team. Only had three touchdowns, really all the points that they had the entire game. And uh, Robert Tanyan with uh, a touchdown catch here. Second leading receiver here for this Packers team. Robert Tanyan goes four catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. And his touchdown really kind of helped them ice the game a little bit out here. Uh, you know, up until this point, it was only 14-7, one possession game, and then Robert Tanyan gets in the mix. Here we go. Let's watch his touchdown catch. Here we go, and it comes on third and three in the red zone from the 20-yard line. Man, oh man, clutch as clutch can be, and we always love these great clutch tight ends out here. That's what they learned at Tight End University, folks. A lot of classes to take over there at Tight End University. Uh, you know, catching, how to catch the ball, how to block, um, how to fake, how to chip block, you know, how to catch pass from the running backs that was the course that McCoy Pruitt he might have been the only one that took that course but it obviously paid out for him so a lot of courses taught at tight end university and how to get it done in the clutch is definitely a course that every tight end is kind of required to take and Robert Tanyan truly got it done here so here we go second or third and three only up 14 to 7 one possession game here Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass and floats out an absolute dime to Robert Tanyan in the corner of the end zone right here. But just watch Robert Tanyan right here, folks. Just out and up right there. Real easy. Look at this separation. That's like two yards right there. And just easy peasy touchdown. Gives them the two touchdown lead right here. Absolutely fantastic to Robert Tanyan. Uh, no Lambo leap, though, for Robert Tanyan. What are we doing? You're in Lambo. You got a Lambo leap. Come on. So maybe we'll knock him a little bit. So uh, maybe no A-plus potential out here for no Lambo leap. Go get it done. Let me see your leap ability. Show that leap ability. So he helps with seven points, but then he also helps on a field goal drive that really kind of ices the game right here. They're up 21-7 to still on another third and four. Once again, get helping them move the ball, continue to pick up the first down, and they're able to get into field goal position to kick a field goal to go up 24-7. to Now officially a three-possession game with about 10 minutes left. It really helps ice it, and it's all thanks to Robert Tanyan on this third and four from their own 39 yard line so here we go 
Aaron Rodgers dropping back to pass, and there it is. Robert Tanyan, once again, these tight ends know how to get into the soft spot of the zone. Look at this immaculate. It's a great throw by Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely fantastic. Um, but, I mean, just look at this. To get between this triangle of defenders right there, 20 yards down the field. He brings them all the way down to the 35-yard line right at the edge of uh, at the cusp of field goal range right there. And they're able to get the field goal off of it. So well done to Robert Tanyan. Single-handedly kind of attributing 10 points to this team. Where Washington only put up 10 themselves. So if it was just Robert Tanyan out there. If it was just Robert Tanyan catching the ball. They would have put up 10 points. And it would have been a tie game. And I'm sure Robert Tanyan gets it done in the clutch in overtime to win the game. So Robert Tanyan. Fantastic. Let's see, how many grades does Robert Tanyan have already this season? Only one, a B-plus at week number two, and we're going to give him an A-minus here for his week seven performance, and that's going to be an a, a double A-minus for him. So, well done, Robert Tanyan. All righty, next Tight end performance up is, man, oh, man, it's a good one, folks. We got to head over to Atlanta in Miami, and man, oh, man, Kyle Pitts truly emerging these last two, three weeks out here. Kyle Pitts, leading receiver for the Falcons, seven catches for 163 yards. No scores, but he came up absolutely big in key situations. So let's watch every catch by Kyle Pitts from the this week and see when he was doing it, how he was doing it, and how he helped win this game for the Falcons. So here we go, Kyle Pitts, first catch. Zero, uh, they're down 7 nothing, and there, there it is. Matt Ryan throws to Kyle Pitts right there. It's first and 10, but boom, right there, 20 yards down the field, and then he takes it another 10 yards because he's so fast and able to get into open space. Fantastic. Alrighty, next play up here. Now they're heading towards the red zone. Real easy there on third and 19. And gets very, very close to picking up the first down. And they're able to score three points. They get three points out of that drive. They get three points out of that drive. Fantastic. Now they're up 10 to, three, 10 to 7. Trying to do something right before halftime. 36 seconds left. First and 10. Can they do anything? Matt Ryan goes deep. And there's Kyle Pitts. Sheesh. And how many points do they get right before halftime? Another field goal. So fantastic job here by Kyle Pitts. Uh, getting into these field goal ranges. I mean, just look at this one-handed catch. Man. Bring it in one arm. Got pass interfered with. Didn't matter. Catch on the sideline. Another three points attributed to Kyle Pitts. Now here we go to start the second half. Going deep again to Kyle Pitts. And man, oh man, beating all these corners. We got Eric Rowe. We got Xavier Howard coming up. Just no corner or safety can stick on this man. He's a freak athlete. He's tall. Look at that. Go up and get the ball 20 yards down the field. Helping the first drive out of halftime move the ball. What else do we get up here? Uh, look at this catch again. Boom. Just throwing it so high and just going up and getting it. Fantastic by Kyle Pitts. 
Alrighty, did they score off that first drive out of halftime? They got a touchdown, and it's all set up by Kyle Pitts. So another score there attributed to Kyle Pitts. Now we go when they're up 20-14. to 14, Kyle Pitts on third and 10, picks up the first down, keeps the drive moving. Fantastic. And then here we go, probably the biggest play of the day here. Matt Ryan, they're down 28-27. Kyle Pitts over the middle of the field, picks up the first down. All they need is a field goal, and he gets them right to midfield on one play, uh, the first play of the drive right here. And just look at this. Why is nobody covering Kyle Pitts over the middle of the field? Great job by Kyle Pitts to once again find the soft spot of the zone. That's what the tight ends do out here. Fantastic. And then another big catch again. Very next play. They go to Kyle Pitts again. And this time, this was the best throw of the entire day. Pro yeah. Do we say that? Yeah, I think so. Matt Ryan, an immaculate pass here. And what does Kyle Pitts do with the quarterback that throws an immaculate pass? He rewards them by having an immaculate catch right there. Amazing over-the-shoulder catch. Gets them into field goal range. And that's all they needed, folks. Dolphins couldn't do anything. To stop it, and Kyle Pitts just coming up clutch after clutch after clutch after clutch when he needed to. Absolutely fantastic. So Kyle Pitts in a real great game out here. This is, uh, what is how many grades we got here for Kyle Pitts this season? Where do we got him at? We've got him on the list. I know we've got him on the list somewhere. A lot of list here, folks. A lot of list. Kyle Pitts, here we go. He's got three grades already, a C, a B minus, and an A for week five. And now our highest grade we ever gave out was an A plus, plus, plus to Mark Andrews for his week five performance. I don't think we can give him A plus, plus, but we could definitely give him a plus. If he scored a touchdown himself, we'd probably give him an A plus plus. Uh, but yeah, definitely an A plus here for Kyle Pitts. Holy cow for his week seven performance. And that's two A pluses for the man. So well done for showing out at tight end day. Alrighty, the next tight end, we are staying right here for the Dolphins Falcons game. Uh, this time we have to celebrate Mike Gesicki. Real good plays here for Mike Gesicki. Um, what do we got? Uh, I think I accidentally ruined the first play. So we're going to have to get back to the first play here. We can bring it up quickly. We've got the timestamp down. No problem. Uh, but let's tell y'all what Mike Gesicki did right here. Great job by this uh, tight end for the Dolphins. Kept it close, so we're going to shout him out this week. Seven catches, leading receiver for the Dolphins. So tight ends getting it done for both teams. Kyle Pitts, leading receiver for the Falcons. Mike Gesicki, leading receiver for the Dolphins. Mike Gesicki, seven catches for 85 yards and a touchdown as well. And also comes up big time on some big catches as well to keep them in the game. So let's head over to our first play, which is the touchdown catch by Mike Gesicki. We'll set up the uh, we'll set up the scenario when we get here. So here we go. Dolphins down 20 to seven in the third quarter. It's second and goal from the six yard line. This is a big score. They need a touchdown to make it a one possession game. Let's see what they do here. Here we go. Tua on second and goal drops back to pass and just launches it high and up for Mike Gesicki to go up and get it. And look at this man. Go up and get it. This is great catchability by Mike Gesicki right here. He's got some strong
strong hands, some great visuals, and then he does the Lambo leap. He does the Lambo leap in Miami. Come on, Robert Tanya. Damn. He's leaping into the stands here. He's getting the team fired up right there. Mike Gesicki, absolutely fantastic touchdown catch right there. And we've seen this. This is what's so great about Mike Gesicki. He will go up and get the ball. He's a true pass-catching uh, tight end out here, and we absolutely love it. So great job there to get them back in the game. Absolutely fantastic. And then here we go. All right, then we get a fourth quarter touchdown drive. The Dolphins were down 13 points in the fourth quarter, and Mike Kosicki steps up big on both of these touchdown drives. Let's start here on a drive starter. Now, this is not to Mike Kosicki, but we'll give a quick shout-out to our other tight end, Durham Smythe, out here. A solid catch. Not going to make the list, but we'll give him a little bit of a shout-out here. So here we go, drive starter from their own 10-yard line, and look at this. Durham Smythe goes up and gets the ball. These tight ends will do whatever it takes to help out to a because the receivers aren't. These receivers are not helping out Tua. Uh, Devontae Parker can't stay healthy. Jalen Waddle solid, but I mean, never the leading receiver for this Dolphins team. It's always these tight ends out here. Durham Smythe, absolutely fantastic catch once again. We got to watch this one one more time. Holy cow. Just an out and up. And man, look at that. Concentration, strong hands, toe tapping on the sideline too. Sheesh, fantastic there. But now we get Mike Kosicki on these next two plays. So here we go. Now Dolphins first and 10, down 13 at their own 27-yard line. Here we go. We're going to get Mike Kosicki on back-to-back -back plays. Let's see how he's look. Play-action pass by Tua. Tua standing tall in the pocket. Plenty of time to throw in. Boom. Boom. 30 yards down the field. 20 yards, excuse me, 23 yards down the field right here. Two. Mike Kosicki wide open, boom, and then he's able to get another five yards after the catch. Well done, Mike Kosicki helping drive this ball now over midfield, and we're going to go back to Mike Kosicki. Why not? He's been working all game long when you actually go to him, when you scheme him open, when you scheme plays for him, and they go right back to him over the middle of the field on a first and 10, and they give him, I believe, the first down as well. So once again, this drive results into a touchdown because the tight ends getting out to three. Three straight catches out here. Mike Kosicki getting two big ones. So great job there by Mike Kosicki. And then the last play right here. Um, their second touchdown drive right here. Now they're only down six points. Uh, Mike Kosicki at, from the 25-yard line on a third and 15. You really can't take a field goal here. You do have the ability to take a field goal. Go down three with three timeouts and three minutes left in the game and trust your defense. That is an option. But Mike Kosicki says not... Uh, Ah, uh, why settle for a field goal when we're going to pick up this third and 15? They pick up a third and 15, folks, from their uh, from the Falcons' 29-yard line. You know how hard that is to do? But it's no problem for Mike Kosicki out here. Here we go. Tua dropping back to pass and fires a ball it, a bullet over the middle of the field. But once again, can we shout out Mike Kosicki? Literally unblocked out here, unchecked. He just goes right down the middle of the field. Look at this. One yard shy of the first down. And uh, there's one defender within five yards, and he's able to fall forward. And that's two yards over the first down marker on third and 15. And they're able to score a touchdown here to take the lead. Once again, two is fantastic. And Mike Kosicki, absolutely masterful job out here. 
So, Mike Kosicki, we are going to give an A. That's an A performance coming up in the clutch when they needed him. Touchdown, all that. An A for his Week 7 performance. And he gets another A because of it. Woof. Fantastic. Alrighty, next game up next tight end we got to celebrate is CJ Uzama from the Cincinnati Bengals. A huge game for CJ Uzama. Oh my goodness, if Jamar Chase didn't have 201 yards receiving, CJ Uzama would have been the leading receiver here for the Bengals. But he had three catches for 91 yards and two touchdowns. Sheesh, in the biggest game of the Bengals uh, season so far when all the pressure was on him. Everybody was taking the Bengals plus six and a half, and they go on the road against division rival and absolutely destroy them because of all three catches by CJ Uzama. So let's watch this man work, folks. Alrighty, here we go. Second quarter touchdown catch, folks. They were down, they were tied 3-3 at this point, and CJ Uzama breaks it big. Here we go. Tie game 3-3. Six minutes left in the second quarter. Bengals at their own 45-yard line. First and 10 play action. Joe Burrow steps up in the pocket and delivers a deep ball all the way down to CJ Uzama to the 20-yard line. And then CJ Uzama says, get off me. To who is this? Marlon Humphrey says, get off me. Spins him around, and then it's a foot race for the last 20 yards. And these tight ends are fast folks these are not your grandfather's tight ends where they're only blocking and a little slow out there these are the new uh millennial tight ends out here that will run catch pass block whatever it takes to get the win to get the points to get to production cj uzama 50 yards down the field touchdown fantastic but he's not done folks this man is not done. Then here we go. Now it's a tie game. 10-10. Trying to get some points right before halftime. Second and three from their own 32-yard line. What can CJ Uzama do? Joe Burrow drops back to pass. First down. Boom there. Moves the ball. And what did they do right before halftime? Did the Bengals get any points? Yes, they did. They got three points out of it. Takes the halftime lead because CJ Uzama picks up the first down there. Fantastic. And once again, folks we are not done we've got his last catch right here and it goes for a touchdown now they're down 17 to 13 they're down they're down they're tied CJ Uzama helps him out there uh they're tied again trying to get some points CJ Uzama helps him out now they're down in the third quarter and what does CJ Uzama do he said I'll take this ball 32 yards to the house here here we go down for Joe Burrow first and 10 and boom we're wide open look at how wide open open he is here we got kind of trips to the right here and nobody guards the great tight end that's been burning you all game look at they all play these two receivers Joe Burrow sees it perfectly and he just is free down the streak down the seam right there for the catch and then he takes it the last 15 yards avoiding defenders for the touchdown what a brilliant performance stepping up exactly when they needed him CJ Uzama already has an A++ for his week 4 performance and we're giving him another A++ for his week 7 performance holy moly Two touchdowns. Oh, my God. Taking care of business. Uh, big game on the road. Everything was right for CJ Uzama. And this man has three A++'s now. Holy moly. He may be the new front runner for best tight end in the league. Man, oh, man. 
Alrighty, we still got more tight ends to go over for uh, folks. So let's head over to the next one out here. And we got Foster Moreo, tight end for this Raiders team. No Darren Waller. Can this Raiders team move the ball offensively? Yes. Can they get it done to the tight end? Yes, because Foster Moreo, leading receiver here. The receiver. Um, no Darren Waller. He steps up. Hunter Renfro. Um, Henry Ruggs not able to get as many yards as our man Foster Moreo. Six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. Sheesh, you didn't have to stunt like that. So, let's see what C um, Foster Moreo is all about here and what he did. So, here we go. All right, here we go. He had a first quarter touchdown catch, folks. They're down 7-0. They're down 7-0. And who do they go to in the red zone? Foster Moreo, folks, on a second and four. Let's watch this man get it done. Here we go. Down 7-0. Really couldn't move the ball that well in the first quarter. But here we go in the second quarter. Uh, from the 20-yard line, Derek Carr, play action pass. And there is Foster Moreo. Easy peasy. Right down the middle. Defender on him. Here he is right there going down. Defender on him. But boom, just works back toward it, fights through the contact, catches the ball, falls into the end zone. Foster Moreo touchdown helps tie the game 7-7 and helps the Raiders get off to a better start here because they kind of take over from this point on. All right, here we go. Then we get the third quarter touchdown. They're only up 10 points here coming out of halftime. And we get a big play by Foster Moreo on second and 12 that results into a touchdown. Here we go from the Eagles' 43-yard line. Second and 12, play action pass. And once again, he's wide open. Once again, these tight ends can find the soft spot of these zones, folks. No problem. They sniff them out. They're like truffle pigs, folks. They just are running their round. They're like, where? Oh, oh. There's there's a there's a uh, wide open spot in the soft spot of the zone. There's a soft spot of the zone right there. Let me just find my way right there. Look at that. Oh, look at this. Look at that. Look at this. Folks, five yards open by Foster Moreo. Truly sniffed out that soft spot of the zone and takes it for a first down on second and twelve and helps cash in on a touchdown drive. And then on another field goal drive in the third quarter here. Uh, kind of uh, start of the fourth quarter, we should say. We get uh, Foster Moreo. Hang on, hang on. Where is this? On another touchdown drive? Did I mix up my notes? Oh, it was another touchdown drive, not a field goal drive, folks. He only helps out on touchdown drives. Here we go, second and one. Once again, from the Eagles, kind of 43-yard line right here. Second and one, they're up 24-7, to just trying to ice the game, put away the game. It's Foster Moreo on a setup tight end screen, and that's too easy. He goes for 10 yards when he only needed one and helps cash in for the touchdown right there. So what a game by Foster Moreo. First time on the list list as well so give the man a round of applause for the newcomer once again better late than never in the perfect week to do it when two times grades are given out here Foster Moreo oh my goodness great performance we're gonna give him a B plus folks fantastic for his week seven performance
So two B pluses for the man. Way to step up. Actually, we're bumping it up to an A. Leading receiver. What are we talking about? No Darren Waller. What are we talking about? No B plus. We're giving the man an A. An A. Two A's for the man. Two A's for the man. Fantastic. And we still got more wide receivers to talk about, folks. More wide receivers coming in. Here we go. Two more. Let's see who's these last two tight ends to make the cut here for tight end university grades this week. Here we go. We got to go to the Cardinals game. And y'all already knowing who we're doing for the Cardinals, folks. Give this man a big round of applause out here because we're celebrating Zach Ertz. Ooh, 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 woo, woo, woo. First game here for this Cardinals team. Zach Ertz coming over from Philadelphia, and he had three catches for 66 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, so here we go. First play up here that we got to watch for. We're going to watch all the plays that he was uh, involved with here. But uh, let's go to this one. Now, this catch, it didn't result in anything. They had a punt on this drive, but uh, this was his first catch as a Cardinal. First drive of the game, getting acclimated here. Let's watch this man work first and 10 from their own 30-yard line. Zach Ertz, ooh, one-handed stunt catch. I mean, defenders draped all over him, folks. Look at this. Look at that defender literally kind of holding him a little bit. Ball is not very well thrown. It's behind him. And Zach Ertz turns around, one-handed catch, and that's how he starts his Arizona Cardinals tight end career, folks. A one-handed catch that was absolutely immaculate. Fantastic. Unfortunately, didn't lead to any points, unfortunately. But that's not a problem because it's about to lead to points. So you're all ready now. Here we go. He catches a touchdown pass. Folks, don't disrespect the man. But we're not getting that to, we're not going to that one just quite yet. Let's go to this first touchdown drive here where we get Zach Ertz on third and six. Ooh, third and six helping pick up the first downs that result into touchdowns. Yes, sir. Here we go. Third and six from their own 26 yard line. There's Zach Ertz once again just finding that soft spot of the zone. And then he's caught, he caught the ball two yards short of the first down, just backs up right to that first down marker, gets two extra yards. Fantastic. And they're able to cap off that drive with the touchdown. That was his first catch uh, or his second catch of the game, folks. Alrighty, but he's still getting it done on this same touchdown drive. Here we go. Zach Ertz from the goal line here. We're going to get a little bit of a run by Zach Ertz. He had a rush, folks. One rush for four yards. So here we go. Let's watch him run here. Second and goal from the five-yard line. Zach Ertz takes the handoff. He's running and, oh, gets brought down just a yard short. Oof, oof. And they try to play our man. The refs try to play our man. And Zach Ertz by saying he fumbled. No, 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 no. The tight ends rarely fumble the ball here. They call fumble on the field. They have to review it smartfully. And they're like, oh, no. Okay, we're sorry. They apologized to Zach Ertz and all that. Said you didn't fumble down at the one-yard line. And they're able to punch in the touchdown on the very next play. Very well done to Zach Ertz. Helping cash in seven points. And then that leads us to his actual touchdown catch right here. Zach Ertz, 47 yards. Sheesh. 
sheesh. Here we go. Did truly put away the game. They're up 17 to 5 here. Still a game. If you have a competent quarterback, you're still a game. You're only down 12 points out here. But this is where Zach Ertz puts the nail in the coffin and has them up 24 to 5 here. So here we go. Kyler Murray from their uh from the Texans 47-yard line, first and 10, drops back to pass, lays it out for Zach Ertz, and look at the speed. Look at the speed and great blocking there by the Cardinals wide receiver. But here it is. Zach Ertz wide open 20 yards down the field. Look at the catch. Ooh. Ooh, you saw his hands looking the ball. Ooh, that was a wide receiver catch right there. Sheesh, he's a tight end, folks. And then he's got 30 yards. He's got to go 30 yards with kind of five defenders kind of all near him. Can he get it done? Boom, he goes immediately to the left sideline. Number one defender right here for the Texans takes a bad angle. Can't catch him. Number 25 is going to get sealed off right there. Great block, and it's tight end, and the tight end gets it down 30 yards for the score. Absolutely fantastic. Can catch, can run, can block, can do it all. Zach Ertz, well done. And this is his first grade with the Arizona Cardinals. He had a C performance week three for the Eagles, and now he has a B plus. B plus? Nah, we're giving out A's. We're giving out A's. An A for Zach Ertz out here. Fantastic for week seven. And that comes with the bonus A. And that leads us to our last tight end out here for the week. We're going to head over to the Colts and shout out this tight end. Not a lot of great credit, but solid performance by Mo Alley Cox, a tight end out here for the Colts. Alrighty. Now, Mo Alley Cox, second leading receiver for this Colts team. Three catches for 25 yards. He had a touchdown. Got to give it to him. So he had some good catches right here and uh, helped score 10 points for this Colts team. So here we go. We get a third and two. They're down zero to nine in the first quarter the game is starting to get out of reach a little bit starting to get a little crazy potentially down by three possessions if you let the 49ers go and score another touchdown they lead at 16 nothing but Mo Alley Cox says no 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 we're gonna stop the bleeding right here right now third and two from the 49ers eight yard line here we go Carson Wentz play action Keeps it. Mo Alley Cox on the tight end screen. And bingo, bango, easy peasy. Great job blocking there by Michael Pittman Jr. without getting the pick called on him. And that's just Mo Alley Cox running down the line right there free because of the pick. Catches the ball, turns up field, and the speed is there to beat everybody for those 10 yards. Fantastic there. Gets off uh, the scoring there for the Colts. Makes it 7-9. Helps them able to come back. And then we get a play in the fourth quarter. Helps lead to a field goal. The Colts are only up two points here in the fourth quarter with nine minutes left, folks. This helps ice the game here because the 49ers had trouble moving the ball and scoring the ball here in the second half like we know. So here we go. Colts second and 11 from the 49ers 28-yard line. Mo Alley Cox, what can he do? Here we go. Play action pass by Carson Wentz. Mo Alley Cox takes it. And boom, one yard short of the first down, unfortunately. But we know, you know, a downpour monsoon. Every yard is crucial. And he gets them uh, one yard short of the first down, but helps kick an easier, manageable field goal out here. Uh, it's only 42 yards. If Mo Ali Cox doesn't kind of catch this ball, it's a little, it's a lot more. It's a lot more. Uh, add another kind of eight yards to it, and now we're talking about a 50-yard field goal. So well done by Mo Ali Cox. Uh, solid performance out there, and we are going to give him a 
B minus for this performance. All right, where is Mo Alley Cox? We got him, uh, I think, one other time. I think he's got one other grade on this list. So many tight ends to look through. Uh, Mo Alley Cox, where are we at? Yeah, oh, he's got two grades an A plus for week four and an A minus for week six. He's going to add two B minuses here for his week seven performance. Fantastic. All righty, so those are all the tight ends. Great performance here in week seven, official tight end day out here where they had a grand total of all the tight ends combined of 118 receptions for 1,382 yards and nine touchdowns combined. Tight ends truly getting it done. So one more final applause to Mo Ali Cox, Zach Ertz, Foster Moreo, CJ Uzama, Mike Kosicki, Kyle Pitts, Robert Tanyan, and Michael Pruitt for getting it done at the biggest day of tight ends, tight end day, and showing out for tight end university. Big respects, big respects, and we'll see what tight ends make the list next week. Alrighty, and then the last thing we have to do for today is update our power rankings. Alrighty, now that every team has played week seven, we can rearrange these teams. Who's looking better? Who's looking worse? Who's got to rise and who's got to fall? So this was our top 10 heading into this week. We had Raiders at 10, Bengals at 9, Packers at 8, Titans at 7, Bills at 6, Bucks at 5, Rams at 4, Ravens at 3, Cowboys at 2, and the Cardinals the number one team in our opinion here in the league now we have a lot of switching here there is no teams exiting the top 10 which means no new teams entering the top 10 but that's great because that's kind of proving hey we know what the good teams are folks they're already in the top 10 here we don't have to add the Raiders to the top 10 they're already in the top 10 we don't have to add the Bengals to the top 10 they were already in the top 10 we don't have to add the Titans to the top 10 they were already in the top 10 uh, I'm sure most people are kind of adding some of those one, two, maybe all three of their these three teams in the power rankings because, you know, the Chiefs, a lot of people had the Chiefs in the top ten. We were already off of them, folks. So, yes, no new teams, but that just tells us that, you know, once again, our thinking is exactly where it needs to be. So that's all we strive for on the show. As long as our thinking is exactly where it should be, that's what we kind of count our success on. And here we are adding no new teams in this week when the Bengals, Raiders, and Titans all deserve to be in the top 10 given their performance this week. So fantastic. But here we go. Let's start reordering teams. So here we go. New number 10 team is going to be the Packers. So they fall back two spots here, folks. And I get it. I understand. Uh, we just finally heard clarified uh, what this Packers team is to us coming right from the horse's mouth. Aaron Rodgers saying, or I should say turtle's mouth, Aaron Rodgers, you know, saying, hey, we're just a scrappy team. And that's exactly what they are. Finally, we have some context uh, that we can kind of, um, kind of, it's good that we have kind of words to put to what we're saying, seeing from this Packers team. Never blowing out any teams, not facing the best teams, facing Washington, facing the Steelers, you know, kind of decently competitive. Washington really could have won the game. You know, Taylor Heineke going a little bitch mode a little bit. Little bitch made that game and real disappointing because we haven't seen Taylor Heineke be bitch made like that in his entire career. He's usually, hey, I'm diving, I'm running, I'm doing everything. 
thing. We saw him, you know, sling the ball around three weeks ago to kind of come back from behind and win the game. But he doesn't want to dive for the end zone when it's like wide open and can't kind of get it done from a QB sneak perspective. So real unfortunate there with the Washington football team and that's kind of once again why we're dropping the Packers back a little bit we also are we've seen great performances by these other teams so once again it's not a hundred percent knock on the Packers of why we're dropping them back two spots here but we've got to really see them I got to see them blow out a team I got to see that they are able to do it they're winning close games and they're finding ways to win games that's what we love here we praise other teams for it so yes we are still praising the Packers for this but what happens when they face a real good team are they still going to be able to kind of get it on and what happens when Aaron Rodgers starts to turn over the ball or if just some players turn over the ball here for the Packers let me quickly see I want to say the Packers this Packers team has probably one of the lowest turnovers in the league they're not really turning over the ball here folks um, and I want to see what happens. You know, we saw Aaron Rodgers. He threw two interceptions game one. They lose that game. Coincidence, correlation, causation, whatever you want to mark it up as. You know, what happens when things don't go right for the Packers? What's going to happen when, you know, Aaron Rodgers is throwing interceptions. Avante Adams is fumbling the ball here. Are they still going to be scrappy? Or are they going to kind of turn on each other and clam up a little bit? So we still have some question marks here with the Packers team. And we are starting to kind of be at the middle of the season where really everything should be kind of ironed out, smoothed out, and showing what the team is from here on forward while getting better. So we've just got to see this Packers team beat a good team, and I want to see them blow out an opponent. We're seeing the Bucs blow out, blow out opponents. We're seeing the Patriots with Mac Jones blow out opponents. We're seeing the Cardinals. We're seeing the Cowboys all blow out opponents as well. We're just not seeing this Packers team do it, and that's why we just have a little bit of pause. As long as you have Aaron Rodgers, you're obviously going to be one of the best teams in the league, folks. We get it. But what happens when things start to go wrong? Will they still be coming together scrappily? Or are they all just going to kind of lay down and kind of give up? Um, so, the Packers have... Six turnovers lost. The average is eight and a half. So once again, above the average there, they're not really turning over the ball. They really don't do it more than one time in a game if they do it at all. So once again, what happens when everything goes wrong with this Packers team? We don't think it's going to look too pretty. They don't got Devontae Adams this week for Thursday Night Football. Going to be real interesting to see what they can do. So we're going to leave the Packers here at 10. Please prove us wrong. We can move you up. And once again, this is not all on the Packers' fault of us moving them down. We just had some other great plays where we really just had no room to move them up, unfortunately. And you're going to see it right here, folks. You're going to see it right here again. Once again, no disrespect to this team, but they have to get moved down. We're moving... Uh, new number nine team is going to be the Bills. And how unfortunate they were on the bye this week. You know, how do you get fired on your day off? Classic. Bills, how do you get demoted when you didn't even play? But that's what we're saying. This week we had some big teams step up in big spots. So we have to move them up a little bit more. And just unfortunately, some teams just didn't kind of, you know, live up to the hype of the other teams. And they have to get moved down. It's not all disrespect, folks. Okay, relax, folks. I'm not knocking your 
their team. I'm not a hater. I'm not all that. I'm just seeing other great things by other teams, and it's unfortunate. There's great teams in this league, folks. That's great for us, right? The viewer, uh, we get the greatness all across the board. We want as much greatness as we can, and we got a lot of greatness last week. But the Bills have to move back to number nine here. Like we said, they were on the bye this week. Let's see. Who do they got this week coming out of the bye? Um, do they got Miami this week? Or is that next week? Mm, this week, uh, they got the Dolphins. So, sheesh, Luis. I mean, that should be you know, a pretty solid game for this Bills team to win. We'll see what they did with this bye week. Unfortunately, they got to be moved back to number nine. And we are still a little bit worried on the Bills of not getting it done in the red zone and having to settle for field goals. Um, that's kind of our knock here for the Bills. All right, new number eight team. Here we go. Uh, we've got to uh, move this team back again here. Um, and unfortunate, um, and I forgot to preface this, uh, we moved the Rams and the Ravens. We swapped their spots midway in the week. So if you just watched the show last week's Power Rankings, you're like, hey, how did the Rams get the four and the Ravens got the three? We made an impromptu switch here on Wednesday's show when we were watching the Rams and Matthew Stafford work and all of his incompletions. We had a bad taste in our mouth, and we had to move the Rams from three. Three to four, and we upgraded the Ravens from four to three. But the Ravens just kind of bit us in the butt a little bit out here, um, you know, losing the game to the Bengals. Now, this game was still close, folks. Let's not kind of run with this narrative. It's a great thing that the Bengals won. I've got no problem with the Bengals winning. Everybody's celebrating the Bengals. I've got no problem with that. But don't fall in love with the final. Uh, final score for this game, 41-17 win for the Bengals. This was a close game, folks. The Ravens had the lead 17-13. This was a 20-17 game with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. Then the Bengals go down and make it 27-17, and then the Ravens just were trying to kind of play catch-up a little bit, um, going for it on fourth down and all that. And this game didn't really get blown out. Ten points, I'm not calling a blowout just quite yet. The game got blown out 34-17 with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. So overall, this was still a decently close game. And the Bengals, remember, they scored big on some Big plays. The 55-yard bomb to CJ Uzama goes for seven points. The big bomb to Jamar Chase. Um, that went. Uh, when did this come? Um, even this one, the 46-yard uh, to uh, Perrine going big, going just running the ball there. Um, so once again, a lot of these points coming on the 55. Uh, hang on, didn't Jamar Chase have a big touchdown, like 60-plus yards? Where's his touchdown catch at? CJ Uzama. He had a 32-yard pass as well for the touchdown. 82 yards to Jamar Chase. There it is. So, once again, big plays here by the Bengals. Still kind of close into midway fourth quarter. So, yes, we can celebrate the Bengals. I'm not here to knock on the Bengals or disrespect the Bengals or anything like that. I'm just saying let's not totally sell the Ravens. Everybody's saying they'd have they'd rather have Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson. I don't think that's quite right to say as of yet. I still think there's some things that we need to see Joe Burrow do. But uh, I think uh, let's not get carried away. Way. Let's just put it like that. Let's just not get carried away um, and say that this Ravens team is just trash just quite yet. But we are moving them back to number eight here just because, once again, some other great performances out here by some other teams. So we can still buy this Ravens team. Lamar Jackson is still great. 
running the ball here. They just kind of, you know, ran into a solid team after facing a solid team after facing a solid team out here. So once again, we're still giving this Ravens team some praise for staying in the game and not truly getting blown out right there. Some plays that went big, 55 yards, 82 yards, 32 yards. So, I mean, you know, you get rid of those plays. Are the Bengals still able to march down the field and get touchdowns and not stall in the red zone and having to settle for field goals? So, we move the Ravens down to number eight because of other great performances by other great teams. So, Ravens, unfortunately, move back to number eight. Uh, new number seven team is going to be the Bengals. We're moving them up. Yeah, great performance. I mean, Joe Burrow being great out here, utilizing his weapons. We're not going to penalize him for utilizing his weapons. Jamar Chase, you know, he deserved that 82-yard touchdown run because, you know, he caught it on a slant and then broke like three tackles and broke big. CJ Uzama able to get open. Joe Burrow finding the deep weapons and pushing the ball down deep. That's why we love you to push the ball down deep and take those shots deep to stretch the field vertically because you have chances for these big plays to happen if you give your receivers a chance and Joe Burrow's immaculate as give, at giving his receivers a chance. Zach Taylor said, hey, we're a great team. Y'all are going to see and now everybody's seeing. So the Bengals are living up to the hype here every single week. Give them big credit. Hopefully they don't kind of take this big head and kind of deflate. Next week, who do they got up here this week coming up? Bengals have... The Jets. So, you know, hopefully they can keep it going here. Um, the only thing I want to see from the Bengals is just start kind of how are they doing when they can just drive the ball? What happens when they don't have the big shot plays? Even in that Packers game, they got down a little big, a little two possessions, and then the big throw to Jamar Chase helps them out. So I want to see this Bengals team. What happens when they don't have the big plays, when they just have to drive 10 yards at a time? And how do they result in the red zone after driving, you know, a couple of plays, eight, nine plays, getting into the red zone? zone so that's the only other thing we have to see by this Bengals team to truly buy them 100% we're at like 95% buyability in this Bengals team we just have to see this other case not relying on the big shot plays can they still move the ball as consistently and put up as many points consistently as consistently as they have if they have to move the ball a little bit slower a little bit more drive e so Bengals move up to number seven New number six team, we are going to move the Titans. Yes, sir. Absolutely real deal. Now that everybody's kind of back healthy, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones are moving the ball. Derrick Henry only had 80 rushing yards and still is able to win the game. The defense locking up, forcing the turnovers. This Titans team is the real deal. The new offensive coordinator here in this Titans offense has really not missed a beat from the Arthur Smith days these last two seasons here for the Titans. So they're still moving the ball. The defense is tightening them up when they need two big games these last two weeks against the Bills got no love except for us they win then they face the Chiefs got no love except for us they win and we're gonna celebrate this Titans team by rising them up to number six out here Derrick Henry Ryan Tannehill I don't love the defense overall but if they're getting it done in the red zone shutting you down in the red zone forcing turnovers you're finding ways to win games absolutely fantastic big blowout win for the Titans this week while getting disrespected on we move them up to number six 
Alrighty, new number five team. We're moving this team back a little bit. A little still disappointed with this team a tad. The Rams, new number five team. We move, we move them back from four to five here. Another move back. Yes, they won. Defense stepped up big time. Jalen Ramsey interception in the red zone to really ice the game against the Lions. Um, just kind of, you know, close games out here by the Rams. You know, giving up the big plays to the Detroit Lions. Not really ready to go right off the rip. Allows the first drive touchdown by the lines, allowed the onside kick, allowed the punt on fourth down. So some circumstances of just lackadaisicalness by this Rams team overall, special teams, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, all of that. So we're getting a little concerned with things that we're seeing on a little individual game-by-game -game basis right here. Yes, it's still resulting into wins, but we still are getting small concerns while we're really not getting those by, you know, these that many by these other teams so we're gonna move the Rams back a spot right here and see how it goes and once again it's just another reason why we have to or another way that we can celebrate other teams that are doing very very well out here so once again not a hundred percent disrespect to the Rams or their fault of why they're getting moved back but you know they are still not doing themselves any favors of making up for that to stay up and not get moved back if you could have followed exactly what I was saying when we were describing the Rams, because I even had a, I thought I did the best I could to making it clear of what I was trying to say. So if that point didn't come across of what we were trying to say, we apologize. We tried our, we tried our best, but Rams are five. That's the main takeaway. All right. New number four team. Here we go. The Raiders. Oh my goodness. I love this Raiders team, folks. Woo! And I want to move this team up even more, but ugh, the number three team just can't quite yet. Maybe next week. But this Raiders team, man, oh man. Rich Bisaccia, 33 points, 34 points his first two games. They're moving the ball. Derek Carr, three incompletions. No Darren Waller, no problem. They're still moving the ball. The defense held the Eagles only seven points the entire game, basically, and won the game because of that. They had no points. Couldn't move the ball in the first quarter. No problem. Still put up 33 points for the rest of the game. Rich Bisaccia is getting the most out of this Raiders offense. Exactly what we have been wanting. Exactly what we know we this Raiders team can do. We always bought Derek Carr. We always bought this full complement of weapons. Who was the one thing that we never bought? John Gruden. He's out. Rich Bisaccia comes in and they're breaking record after record here of just points and offense allowed here um, or offensive production under the John Gruden era. They're getting an exceeding those marks by a thousand percent uh, with Rich Passaccia. So Raiders are the real deal. The offense, the defense, they're getting it done. They're winning games. They don't even like John Gruden. So this is why they're still continuing to get better without him at the helm. So Raiders at four. I love everything about this team. And then number three, we're moving the Bucks, folks. I mean, Tom Brady. Whenever you got Tom Brady, you just got Tom Brady. And uh, they blow out the Bears, and you know, this is another game where we really can't take it at full value just looking at the final score. Um, let me get the game up here. Um, here we go. Somewhere. Bears. Bears, where are you? Did I close the game? 
Mm, I think I just said it. Here we go. All right, you know, 38 to 3 win here for this Bucks team. But once again, Tom Brady, not the best. 20 of 36 for only 211 yards. Yes, he had four passing touchdowns, but also kind of stalled on some drives. Hit Mike Evans big over and over again, kind of in the second half to really extend, or in the for, uh, second quarter to really extend the lead and all that. They only put up three points in the second half, even though they didn't really, you know, they didn't need to put up any points. So that's kind of what we're chalking it up at. Um, but, uh, you know, there's still some concerns here overall with the Bucks. But when you have Tom Brady, he always capitalizes on mistakes. His Bucks team doesn't make that many mistakes. Their defense, you know, they're plugging and playing. They're having injuries all over the board. They've got no problem. They're still getting it done. How the Bears only three points and force like six turnovers off of Justin Fields just himself. So this Bucks team is always in it. The offense is fantastic. You really can't stop them defensively. You just have to hope they shoot themselves in the foot here. So Bucks at number three. Whenever you've got Tom Brady, I mean, we're just seeing it every single week, folks. Tom Brady gets it done every single week. Down, not down, leading big, leading bad, doesn't matter. They still get it done. So Bucks are really gosh dang good, folks, and we got to move them to number three. And then number two and number one are still staying the same, folks. Cowboys coming off uh, off of a bye. We're still loving everything about them. We don't really see anybody kind of passing them what they did this week. And the Cardinals got it done um, by getting everybody involved, the usual suspects, Kyler Murray. So Cowboys at two, still the same here. And Cardinals at one, still the same heading into this week. So our power rankings heading into week eight, we got Packers at 10, Bills at nine, Ravens at eight, Bengals at seven, Titans at six, Rams at five, Raiders at four, Bucks at three, Cowboys at two, and the Cardinals, the number one team in the league. Alrighty, folks, that is going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We are back live tomorrow, noon Eastern, with our Wednesday film study. So it's going to be great. We'll take a little bit of a deeper look at some of the more interesting narratives that uh, y'all are saying in the media that we've been saying, seeing if they still are good to go for Week 8, seeing if we have to sell anybody, any team, any player, anything like that heading into Week 8, and that's going to help us out for our Week 8 picks and how we see the season progressing moving forward. So we've got that tomorrow on the show. So join us live noon Eastern tomorrow. We will be here, folks. So have a great one.